Hello and welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. Wishing everyone a happy Thanksgiving. Yep, and if you hear her crying in the background, that is Lily. She is not too happy about being in her crate right now. And she's going to deal with that. Yeah. So today, since we are um, almost almost at Thanksgiving... Yeah, we're I, a little late into this week's episode. I do apologize. Oh, I don't apologize. You're fine. No, I feel like that parent that like makes false promises and doesn't keep up with them. Like you never show up for a baseball game? Well, because I always keep saying that we're going to like make this a weekly podcast and we're going to stay on schedule and we're going to make sure we don't miss a day. This Sunday, we were supposed to sit down and record and that ended up not happening. Anyway, the point is, we have an episode today. We just go with it. Fine. Okay. Do you want to talk about what we've been doing for the past few days, though? Well, I've been sick for a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, haven't been really feeling the best. But today, today I've been feeling a lot better. Okay. Yeah, so I'm in better shape than I was in the last two days, so. Yeah, because you started feeling a little icky last week, and mm-hmm. then going into this week, you got sent home early from work on Monday, you went to immediate care, mm-hmm. got tested for COVID and the flu, thankfully both of those came back negative. Thank God. But you still feel gross, for lack of a better word. Eh, I mean, little gross, not too gross. Yeah. Yeah. I just- think it might be allergies. It might be. I don't know. I People never get really seasonal have, allergies. I never get really allergy issues. People get seasonal allergies in between this time of year. Hmm. Well, I guess so. But last night we went with my sister and brother-in-law mm-hmm. to go see the Trinity of Terror Yeah, Yes, it was Ice Nine Kills, Motionless and White, Black Veil Brides, and Atreyu. Yeah. It was a good show. Which I was so, which I was upset missing, like, because I missed most of Atreyu's set. The one song they played that I saw was Blow. Yeah. So I was like, this blows. So, well, but other than that, the rest of the show was great, and I loved Ice Nine Kills. Yeah, that was really fun. They were so good. Yeah. And I, it's funny, well, I mean, funny, but not funny. I've been a fan of Black Veil Bride since I was in high school. And mm. when they first came out when I was in high school, <laughs> one of their biggest hits was Legacy, which was a song that they mm. played last night during their set. Unfortunately, something happened in the crowd that caused them to stop playing halfway through that song. We were focusing on what was happening with the crowd. I guess somebody must have gotten overheated. Because even though it's cold outside in Rochester... The, it was pretty hot in the, ar- in the armory. Yeah, the, the venue cranked up their heat. And then when you're in a crowd full of people, all these, like, bodies so close to one another, there's, like, heat radiating off each other. Yeah. You can get dehydrated pretty fucking fast. Yeah, well, luckily that didn't happen to us, so. Thankfully it didn't happen to us, so we had a good time. I hope everybody who attended there who needed medical attention was okay. Yeah. And the the Black Veil Bride guys are really cool about it, too, because they were, once they noticed that something was happening, like, I see a lot of bands do this, but they'll stop... They'll stop the band or they'll stop the music and then they'll go see what's going on in the crowd, making sure that all of their fans are okay, which is great. It's great. It, like, that's like band and concert etiquette for the most part. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting body surfing, though. I did. With bands like that, of course they crowd surf. I did not. Well, I would I would have expected moshing. Well, yeah, but, but not but with, body surfing. But with breakdowns and slower paced parts in songs. This is the perfect introduction to bring in the crowd surfers. Uh Uh-huh. You know? There was a lot of them, too. Oh, yeah, there were. And some of them were even, like, the same exact ones. It was, like, not... Yeah, like, we were seeing the same girls getting crowd surfed 
And I don't even know how you how one would go about do, like oh, no, initiating you, a crowd well, surf. Here's how you do it, because I know okay. because from my experiences of going to concerts when I was a kid, this is how you ask to go to a crowd surf. You see a bunch of people, you ask them, go up. You would point up. You point up and you ask them, hey, can I go up? And they literally just hoist you up in the air. Okay. Yeah. No, I've never had one person say no about hoisting a person up to go into a crowd surf. But you got to make sure if you are doing this, there's a big group of people like stuck together. Like, you know, like, yeah. like you can't just have far space people like people over on this side. And then there's no one in the middle, and then there's people over here. No, you yeah. got to have everyone bundled together to ask them to hoist you up, or else you're not going to have a good time. Right. And, and you're going to get hurt. Yeah, the thing about crowd surfing, like, it wasn't that, I mean, obviously where we were standing, we kind of got a brunt of the crowd surfers oh, we that were really flying did. overhead of us. I felt bad for both of you, because seriously, and I was trying to protect and I, you and Emily. Like, the first time it happened, we were, like, caught off guard, and... We almost got hit in the heads by, like, flailing limbs and stuff. The last thing that we did before we went out of that middle, literally, I almost got th- thrown to the ground because of a person, like, was, like, coming over me. And literally, my shoe fell out of my foot. Oh, yeah. I saw that happen. And literally, and they were, yeah, they are just like, what happened to your foot? <laughs> like, no, but, like, the first one caught me off guard. Mm-hmm. And then after the third one, I was like, oh, this is happening way too frequently. So then every time somebody, like, if a if a song would start after the first crowd surfer would pass over, I started looking behind me to see if any more were going to come forward. Because we weren't too close to the stage. We were pretty close to the rail where we can still kind of see the stage. But we were in that line of fire where all the crowd surfers were kind of, like, being carried towards. Mm-hmm. So it kind of made it hard to kind of enjoy the show. A little bit. I enjoyed... When you're you're worried about flailing limbs knocking you out. Yeah, I enjoyed crowd surfing when I was a kid, but I think now if I do it, I don't know. I mean, I'm in in somewhat good shape, but it's just like, if I go up there, yeah, I don't want to fall. Like... I do want to ask this, though, because you... Before yesterday, you've never really been a big fan of Motionless and White or Black Veil Brides, but what did you think of them? I thought Watching them perform. They were interesting. Yeah, I I did like them because I always knew them as scenester type of like metal metal core bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all the screamo kids and all of them were like really into them back then. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I like where they are now. I like where they. I like that bands evolve, yeah. and with guys like them, they totally did evolve, and mm-hmm. that's good, you know, compared to what they were when they first came out. But Motionless and White, I actually liked better than Black Veil Brides. I never thought I would like Motionless and White, but they got some good stuff. Yeah. And I feel like the lead singer is basically the like the the son to like Marilyn Manson. Mm-hmm. And actually, believe it or not, there's a wrestler in WWE named Rhea Ripley actually adopted his look. Really? Yeah. Which, like, because if you see the two, they look like brother and sister. Mm-hmm. So literally... She not only adopted his look, but he's a she's a huge fan of Motionless and White, and her okay. theme song is one of their songs. Okay. So that's why when you look at her, she's like a she looks like a big Motionless and White fan. And Motionless and White have a song that's trending right now on TikTok called yes. Werewolf. Yep. And you got to I, hear it for the first time last night. What do you think of that? 
And I loved it. I actually thought that was super catchy. It's ironic that we're talking about that, too, because I didn't know that today was National Werewolf Day. Yeah. Which, until Tom Savini posted it on Instagram, and which, he posted... There's a movie on Tubi sure. called Were Deer. Okay. It's like a Christmas horror movie that has this person getting bit by a deer, and they transform into this, like, werewolf deer. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like... Think about trying it. Well, because I saw Tom <clears throat> Savini's post on Instagram. He posted, I think it was like four or five of his best like werewolf uh, prosthetics. And they look good. They looked really terrifying and amazing. Yeah. So I posted it on our stories with the Motionless and White yeah. song Werewolf attached to it. And they looked like... It was fun. And the, all the werewolves, they look like they all were related. Like they look like they're all eating at dinner together for like Thanksgiving. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, it's so funny because I forgot to put a song on mine for my Instagram story with that with that Werewolf Day picture. Which so one did you pick? I was going to pick Bark at the Moon by Ozzy Osbourne because that mm-hmm. is the epitome the What's that word? The epitome? The epitome of, like, werewolf songs. Okay. It's such a good song. You've heard of it, right? I don't think I have. <sighs> Youngins. Anyway. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. I'm all grandpa over here. Yeah, go ahead and act like you're older than dirt, okay? Fine. So, anyway. <laughs> anyway, no. so speaking of Thanksgiving, since we're uh, doing a horror movie, which it's so funny that this movie is a Thanksgiving movie because, I don't know, there's a little bit of, there's more killing and gore and all that and a little bit, tiny bit of anything got to do with Thanksgiving. It's... Technically considered by most fans, it's considered a Thanksgiving horror film. Mm-hmm. It's it's Blood Rage. It's the movie Blood Rage from 1987. Yeah, even though it was filmed in '83. I'm gonna get to it. Okay, I'm gonna mind. get to it. Let me. Uh, oh my! Because we had I, we had talked about this before we got on the podcast. Because I feel like this is such a low budgeted movie. There's really not a whole lot of stuff that you can look up. Yeah, like in info, terms of yeah. Yeah, like, there's not like a lot of info you can look up online. Yeah. I feel like unless you have like the Blu-ray edition of this DVD, then you would know like all the behind the scenes stuff that came with the movie. But there's really not a whole lot to dive into. I feel like this is mostly just going to be like our re- general review of the movie instead of a uh, factual piece. I think for me, when I look at this movie, Mm -hmm. it is incredibly ridiculous. It's like just like any other 80s slasher movie. And with this one, especially there's no filter Mm -hmm. with any of the characters. A lot of the killings are either interesting or just super goofy or just they just come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. You know, just like how a lot of killing scenes do in in, in, uh, 80s slashers. I think that, oh my God, it was just ridiculous this movie especially the dinner scene with uh the thanksgiving dinner scene which part uh, the, like like the, the, the one in the very beginning yeah the one in the very beginning and okay. it's just it was just hilarious because okay so the movie blood rage was released on march 29th 1987 as a runtime of an hour and 22 minutes it was directed by john grismer produced by marion Cantor, and screenplayed by bruce joel rubin and it stars Mark Soper, or Sopper, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this. Soper. Soper as Todd slash Terry, the two twin brothers. Mm-hmm. Louise Lasser as Maddie, who is his mom. Julie Gordon as Karen, who plays Terry's girlfriend. Yeah. 
Marianne Cantor plays Dr. Berman, who we see quite a few times in this movie. Jane Benson as Julie, and I'm blanking on who Julie is. But mm-hmm. anyway, James Farrell as Artie, and Ted Raimi as the condom salesman at the drive-in. This was his film debut, and he was 19 years old at the yep. time of this movie. And if anyone doesn't know who Ted Raimi is, it is Sam Raimi's brother of the Evil Dead fame. I feel like everybody could have gotten that by the name alone. Kind of like how when we watched Sleepaway Camp Part 2. Anyway, so the synopsis goes, a suburban apartment complex becomes a scene of carnage following the escape of an institutionalized twin, and it has an IMDb score of 5.8 out of 10. I can see it being that. Right. Now, like I said, there isn't really a whole lot about this movie in terms of like behind the scenes and production stuff. Film was shot in 1983, but it wasn't released to theaters until 1987. And the nature trail scenes were shot at the University of North Florida. So a lot of this movie takes place. It pri- does, yeah. A lot of this movie takes place on the complex of what is called, I believe, Shadow Woods apartment complex. It's like a condo townhouse type mm-hmm. of establishment. It, yeah, it does look like Florida to me. Yeah, a lot of the scenes take place outside on the property of this uh, complex, and this, those scenes were shot at the University of North Florida. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. The film was originally titled Slasher before it was released as Blood Rage. A three-disc Arrow video Blu-ray in- version in- includes the Slasher title card opening, but by May of that year, it was titled, quote, Nightmare at Shadow Woods for Further Regions. Such a long-ass name. I kind of get why they do that. Certain regions probably have their own different way of, like, marketing I don't know. Well, here's the thing. Especially with 80s slashers films, they always had the one name that was for America. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to other countries when they release them, they give them other names. Yeah. You know. Do you want me to get into the plot? Yes. I will stop along the way because, like I said, this is a pretty low-budgeted movie. So there's really not a whole lot to the plot listed. But it just gives you, like, a general idea of what happens in the movie, but I will stop along the way to add in a little bit more further detail. And don't worry, Colin, we will get to your scene. Relax. Which scene? <laughs> the dinner scene. Oh, I yeah, that's fine. I don't care, but yeah. Okay. Todd and Terry are identical twin brothers. One night at a drive-in theater in 1974, young Terry sees his mother Maddie and her date begin kissing inside the car. Upset that his mother is, quote, back at it again, He wakes his brother and they sneak out of the car. Apparently triggered by his mother's promiscuity, Terry takes a hatchet and murders a teenager having sex with his girlfriend in the back seat of their car, then frames Todd by smearing blood onto him and placing the hatchet into his hands. Todd, too traumatized to speak in his own defense, is found guilty and committed to asylum. Pause. First of all... That whole scene where Terry frames Todd. Yeah, and everyone's running up. People are running towards the two of them as Terry is putting the axe or hatchet into Todd's hands and, like, smears blood on his face. Yeah, they so could people tell. Are, people are actively standing there and watching Terry do this. Yeah. And you're going to sit there and tell me that the other kid was the one that did it? Yeah, which is bullshit because anyone with their right mind seeing this, they would have thought, hey, that's the kid who did it, and he's blaming his brother. And then 
another thing is too is like your mom being on a date right now it's what's triggering your blood rage and essentially Which and it doesn't make sense it kind of doesn't i mean plus terry never really gave any sort of impression in the beginning that he wanted to keep his mom all to himself yeah although it's it does seem apparent that way now with T- todd being away and his mom now being deemed the mother of a psychopath nobody wants to fucking date her this is probably what he was hope going for, but I don't know. This is the 80s. They don't really pay too much attention to detail or backstory here. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> also want to add in something here before I get into the rest of the plot because it kind of takes out a chunk. So right before we get into the second part of the movie, Maddie, now like 10 years from the incident, Maddie, the mom, goes and visits Todd at the mental institution on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It's now 1984, and she goes to visit Todd for Thanksgiving and brings him a pumpkin pie as, like, a surprise or whatever. Yeah. And before she sees Todd, she talks to Dr. Berman, who's played by Marion Cantor. Apparently, they had an actress lined up to play the role of Dr. Berman, but she never showed up for shooting. It's- so Marion was like, I'll do it. Fuck it. Like, we need somebody. And we can't keep affording, like, waste time hiring people who aren't going to show up. So... Good point. She stepped in and took on the role of Dr. Berman. <clears throat> and when <throat> we see the two interact with each other, but we hear a recorded tape of Dr. Berman, Dr. Berman evaluating her talk with Maddie. Which is weird. Doctors will do that sometimes. You know, yeah. they kind of have to get an idea... Like, if I need to understand what's going on with my patient, I need to kind of get an idea as to where his background is. I get that, but the narration audio of it just didn't seem like it fit. No, it kind of did. She kind of pretty much broke down the fact that... Well, not just saying that. I'm just saying the audio itself sounded weird. Well, because it's very clinical. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's very... It's what a doctor would say to other doctors when giving their professional opinion on a situation in this situation she has spent time with todd talking to him getting to know him and eventually he opened up and recalled that night at the drive-in and claimed that terry was the one that killed that boy and not him and that terry framed todd to send him away Mm -hmm. and his mom maddie didn't want to believe that terry could do that and she still denied that terry did anything wrong and she tries to even convince Todd that you got to put that idea out of your head. That Terry didn't do anything wrong. You you know what you did was wrong and you're responsible for it. And because Todd now sees that he's in a place and being punished for something he didn't do, mm-hmm. he's now upset. And he doesn't understand why people aren't listening to him. I feel bad for him. Like, clearly, he doesn't deserve that. Right. He didn't deserve any of that. His brother was just a fucking asshole. Right. And it's, like I said, it's not his fault. Maddie has gotten to a point in her life now where she's probably comfortable. Because we see later on that she's got a new boyfriend. Or she's now engaged. She wants to get married to this guy. And she's got a good son in Terry. And he's going to be doing, like, she thinks he's going to be doing great things with his life. And Todd's just going to be stuck in this mental institution for the rest of his life. Which is not fair to Todd. So, after her visit with Todd, she goes back home to the apartment complex at Shadow Woods with 
her boyfriend Brad and her son Terry who's now has a girlfriend and is meeting all of his friends and neighbors and stuff and they're getting ready for Thanksgiving dinner. So the scene that you talked about in question, and actually I'll get into this part now, but 10 years later, like I said, 1984, a now adult Terry lives happily with his mother in a sprawling but secluded apartment complex called Shadow Woods. On Thanksgiving Day, Terry's long dormant murderous rage is revived when his mother gets engaged to her fiancé, Brad, who owns the complex. Terry also learns that his twin brother, Todd, whom he framed for murder a decade earlier, has escaped from his mental hospital and may be heading home. I'm going to pause here for a second because... This is where I start to think that Maddie realizes that there might be something wrong with Todd. Or Terry. Especially after what Terry did. Yeah. So, like I said, there's the scene in the kitchen. It's when they're having Thanksgiving dinner. It's after she reveals that her and Brad are engaged. Shortly after that, she gets a phone call. She goes and takes it in the kitchen. Dr. Berman tells her over the phone that Todd has escaped from the mental institution. They don't know where he is, but they think he might be heading over to the complex and that she was going to go over and meet them there. Terry follows her into the kitchen, asks her what's wrong, and she updates him on what's happening with Todd. And before they go back out into the dining room, she tells, let's just keep this amongst ourselves. I don't want anybody to worry about Todd and, you know, get upset or uncomfortable. What does Terry do? Goes right out back to the dining room, sits down, and then nonchalantly says something along the lines of, oh, I guess he'll be meeting the rest of the family after all. My crazy brother just got out of the mental institution. And his mom looks at him like, why the hell would you say that? And even the girl over the table is like, what is wrong with him? Like, Well, she asked what is wrong with Todd. Yeah. Like, not Terry. Like, why would you just randomly say shit like that? Because... Yeah, well, she said that that, about Terry saying that. I know, but that's the look that I feel like his mom was giving him after Terry said that. Because she's like, did we not just have a conversation, like, two seconds ago where I told you not to say anything about Todd? Exactly. Like, it kind of just... it It was that first red flag that she... You can tell she's conflicted. Because it's like, on one hand, she's like, this is not what I asked him to do. Mm-hmm. But I don't get why he's doing it. But she's also trying to car- compartmentalize, like, maybe he's doing this for a good reason. Maybe he just wants people to be aware that Todd may be here and be on the look. Like, I don't know. She just... She, if I was her, I would have been like, what the fuck is wrong with you? It rubs her the wrong way, but she doesn't say anything right away. You know what I mean? And yeah. obviously... Knowing that Todd has escaped and might be going to the complex worries her quite a bit. Because she she can't focus with Brad. She can't. She packs up all the food. She doesn't really talk. She doesn't really interact with anybody. She just kind of like shuts down emotionally. Yeah, basically. And she shut down so much that she sat on the floor eating her Thanksgiving food. Well, not only does she emotionally shut down, she starts drinking a lot of wine. Yeah. Which is why, at one point in time, we see her in her apartment, sitting on the kitchen floor, eating all the leftover food right out of the fridge. Which, honestly, same. Yeah. I would do that. Not even, like, drunk. I would do that, like... Sober. Yeah. And, again, this this plot that I'm reading from doesn't really go into too much detail. But as they're packing everything up from Thanksgiving, they get a knock at the door. Terry answers it. And it's the orderly Jackie, who's a male orderly, and he's got a trank gun. But he thinks that Terry is Todd and holds the gun up to him. Doesn't shoot him, but Dr. Berman intervenes and she's like, no, 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 that's Terry. Like, what are you doing? 
Guy's and, an idiot. And obviously they're freaking out that this nurse like drew a gun on Terry, but she she tries to tell them I'm gonna go look for him. Jackie and I are gonna take to the woods and all this. So they split up, and Todd, or not Todd, Terry leaves his apartment. Um, this is probably going to be the most confusing fucking thing for me throughout the entire episode. Because they're twins. Terry, Todd, I don't know. There's just something about that is like really fucking confusing. So Terry leaves his apartment complex and he sneaks over to Brad's office. And I don't know, I may miss this part. Where did Todd, or where did Terry get the machete from? Did he get it from the kitchen? What kitchen? Where their kitchen of their apartment? Why would they have a machete in their kitchen? I don't know. Maybe they cut some fine meat? I don't know. Well, Terry manages to get his hands on a machete and kills Brad in his yeah. office. Right? He's the first victim so far of this story that gets murdered by Terry. Mm-hmm. So Terry murders Brad by chopping his right hand off with a machete before splitting his head. And he plans on framing his twin brother Todd for this. Yeah. Which is an interesting plan. I mean, one that I feel like definitely probably would have worked. You know, because... You would have... I th- I, sh- I really think he should have thought better of this. Yeah, well, because obviously it's been 10 years since the incident, the drive-in. And at this point, he and his family have already established a narrative to everybody else around them that Todd is the murderer and that he's crazy. Mm-hmm. They don't know what Todd has recently told Dr. Berman yet. And they don't know that Todd is actually innocent in this whole thing. So, of course, it's going to be very difficult for Todd, when he does meet other people, to try to convince them that he's innocent. Mm-hmm. Right? So, Dr. Berman and her assistant Jackie arrive at Shadow Woods in search of Todd. Terry greets Jackie before murdering him with his machete and soon after cuts Dr. Berman in half with machete in the woods. The practical effects for her death are pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Like He cuts her in half, and we don't see him actually kill Dr. Berman. We just see him like descend upon her. like He's stalking her in the woods, and then she turns around and looks in the camera and screams, and then it cuts to something else, and then when it cuts back, Dr. Berman is... like Her body's been broken in half, or cut in half, on the ground of the nature walk and you can tell she's like her upper torso is flailing and she's screaming and then you can see her lower half is also like twitching which is not a realistic thing but it's really interesting it's good special effects for it yeah it's it's good practical effects i will say yeah but the thing is too like before before that had happened when he runs into jackie outside of the one of the complex buildings Mm -hmm. jackie tells him that Todd had told Dr. Berman that he said that Terry was the one who had done the killings. And that's when Terry kills Jackie and says, no, I didn't. Like, he's trying to convince people again that he's not the killer that Todd is. Mm -hmm. And by, you know, killing other people who may be swayed by Todd's narrative, (coughs) they're doomed to get killed. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. It is. He discards his bloody t-shirt and changes it into a vest. He then visits his neighbor, Andrea, who is babysitting and attempts to seduce Terry, but he seems uninterested. Before her mother, Julie, and her date, Bill, arrive home. Meanwhile, Terry's friend, Karen, bumps into Todd, who has arrived at Shadow Woods, and she believes he is Terry, which, again, common Mm. mistake. 
that can be made amongst twins. Which is really hilarious, this scene. It's a very awkward scene. It's very. It's like, like, it's funny, but it's awkward. Like, you, like, you can tell, which, by the way, I just want to say something. Todd never once changes clothes. From the time we first see him at the mental institution to the very end of the movie, he never changes his clothes. Yeah, but his brother changes into everything. His brother, his brother changes from a polo shirt to a vest, and then I think he changes into something else again, doesn't he? I think so. I don't remember. I don't know. I, it's, it's such a, it's such a very odd movie. Yeah, I'm not watching it again. <laughs> oh God. So Karen has this interaction with Todd. Todd reveals his true identity, and she flees to tell her friends. She also tells Terry, who immediately disappears into <clears throat> the night in search of his twin brother, while Karen and her friends Greg and Artie go to Andrea's house to party. Upon learning that Todd has returned to Shadow Woods, Maddie begins to panic and drink heavily, <sighs> as mentioned before. Of course she did. Todd comes across Dr. Berman's body and becomes emotional. He takes Dr. Berman's gun and goes off in search of his mass-murdering twin brother. Back at Andrea's, Bill has been decapitated by Terry who then stabs Julie to death. Terry spies on Greg and Andrea playing tennis before he murders both of them by the swimming pool. Artie finds the bodies of Greg and Andrea before being held at gunpoint by Todd, who tries to convince him that it is not him, but actually his brother Terry, who is murdering everyone. Todd flees when Terry sees him, leaving Artie with Terry, and as Artie and Terry search for Todd, Artie is suddenly stabbed in the neck with a carving fork. Which, I actually like that scene. Yeah. Because he was just like, oh, he's right over there. Where? Right there. Ah. I also want to bring up the most annoying dad joke in the whole fucking movie. Which is uh, so Which bad, but it's, yeah. So, top, Terry says this, I would say at least, like, five times throughout Here, the movie. So, here's the thing. Go. So, every murderer, especially in slasher films always has that catchphrase mm-hmm. like freddie has welcome to prime time bitch or silent night deadly night 2 has garbage day yeah and also naughty just random shit like and that then, and yeah and oh, wait did did sleepaway camp ever had a, a slogan or a catchphrase that the killer had or no there's some quotable moments in there but this one was just not but then this one yeah. felt like so the quote is terry pretty much saying Go ahead, tell it. That's not cranberry sauce. Referring to the blood that's soaked on his shirts and on certain objects. And I feel like he's the type of person who says stuff like this, thinks it's funny, and then repeats it, hoping to get a laugh out of somebody, like Colin. That's not cranberry sauce. Yeah, that's exactly what you do sometimes. Well, that's not cranberry sauce. He says this throughout the movie, and it, it's like, for me, that's just how I feel when I listen to it. Again, it's like Terry trying to push a, a joke that's just not funny. Exactly. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we move on? That's not cranberry sauce. Shut up. Okay, go on. I will say this, though. <laughs> you, I like that you find the carving fork scene to be pretty interesting, because... When he stabs it into him? Oh, yeah. There's another scene with a carving fork that comes to mind when I think of, not horror specifically, but just a death scene, mm-hmm. and it's Sons of Anarchy. Do you remember that show? I never really watched it. I mean, I watch clips, but that's it. But Okay. When I think of carving forks, I think of that scene from uh, Sons of Anarchy. Anyway. Oh, okay. 
Karen soon discovers the truth about Terry and Todd, and Terry chases her around Shadow Woods to kill her. Karen flees to Julie's house and discovers her dead body and then takes the baby with her. After a very drunk Maddie contacts the police, she finds Terry's bloody t-shirt in the garbage bin before making the horrifying discovery of Brad's body with his head split open. At the swimming pool, Terry has found Karen with the baby. Todd then arrives and fights his brother inside the pool. As Todd is pulled out of the pool by Karen, Maddie appears and shoots Terry, killing him. She thinks she has killed Todd, not Terry. Trigger warning, though, this ending. So, just a trigger warning. Yeah. Upon realizing that she has killed Terry and not Todd... She becomes distraught when Karen flees with the baby. As the film concludes, a hysterical Maddie commits suicide by shooting herself in the head while Todd watches. Police sirens are heard in the distance while Todd's fate is left unknown. Which, that was the weirdest fucking scene, by the way. That whole ending was so weird. I mean, despite the fact that she was distraught by by the notion that she had killed Terry. Terry instead of Todd. Yeah. When she pulls Todd up and hugs him, the way she talks to him makes it seem like she's apologizing to Todd. Yeah. Because she's apolog she's, she's apologizing him for putting through putting him through all the pain, wishing that she could take it all back, wishing that she could do things over differently and had tried to done better by him. Mm-hmm. It makes it seem like a mom or a parent who has a lot of regrets about the way that they brought up their kid. So that's why, like, when she's talking to Todd this way, I genuinely think she's talking about Todd. But she's not. Why would she talk about these things with Terry? When Terry has proven to her in, within, like, the last, like, Well, remember, hour of this she film. was drunk. I get too. that. But here's the thing. She saw the first warning sign when Terry flat out told everybody that Todd had escaped the mental institution. Essentially going against her wishes. Yeah. Making jokes at Brad's expense because she knows that Terry doesn't like him, doesn't mm. like the idea of her dating anybody, and then being so nonchalant about Todd's situation and not really giving two shits, that that should be enough to show her that Terry's not a good kid. Yeah. You know? But, but she tries to look at the good in him, like tries to see the best, you know? It's like how mothers are with kids. They try to see the best in them, even though they're little rotten shits. Well, that's the part that kind of confused me about this ending, because it was like, well, she seems like she's talking to Todd, so why would she think that Terry was the one that she was holding? Like I said, Todd never changed his clothes since the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. So he wore those same clothes that mm. she saw him wearing earlier that day, and she didn't think to put two and two together? No, because she was too intoxicated to even care about that. Plus, there was a scene earlier in this movie where Todd goes to her apartment to see her, and she's so drunk and disoriented that she thinks she's talking to Terry. But she doesn't realize that he's still wearing those same clothes from when he was at the mental hospital. Hmm. So that's the part I don't understand. And at one point, she actually does try to take a shower to try to sober up. But you can tell, like, showers don't really sober people up. They might perk you up a little bit, but you'll still feel foggy and disoriented and not in the right headspace. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why when we see her throughout the rest of this movie, she's a little bit more awake, but now she's more panicked. 
she's under the influence of alcohol. Well, so she's, she's hysterical in this. Exactly. She's hysterical. So Especially when she goes to her, uh, her boyfriend's office and he, she's like screaming at him. Well, no, because she's trying to get... First, she's trying to get a hold of him, right? Oh, yeah. Like, she's trying to call... She's trying to get an operator to transfer her over to her boyfriend's apartment. And I don't know why she doesn't have his number directly. But as she's on the phone with this operator, she's begging this woman to just connect her over to her boyfriend's office number. And then she starts to confide in this woman the events that happened that day at the mental hospital. Like she said, I went to go see my son today. At Well, first she says, I went to go see my son today at his school. Actually, he escaped from his school. Actually, his school is actually a mental institution. So, like, she kind of, like, goes on this weird story with this operator. Yeah. And it's, like, I don't I don't get it sometimes when people do stuff like this. Like, it makes no sense. Like, because there's certain things about this movie that get thrown in there that have absolutely nothing to do with the plot in general. Yeah, mostly she's just a wreck. She really is. And, I, I mean, I get it. I get it. She's a single mom, trying to do her best. So what do you think? Well, I mean, there's not much to think because we're talking about this. So, literally... Well, do you have any thoughts and opinions or... About other than her being nuts? Yeah, no, but... Well, I mean, like you said, she's hysterical, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But is there anything about any of the other characters or anything else about the story that you want to talk about? Well, it's just the very ending of it. It was just like the uh, the acting of it was just horrible, especially when they were mm-hmm. fighting in the pool. And they're barely fighting. They're just like... They're splashing around in the water. Yeah, and, t- and t- freaking Todd couldn't even swim. So it's him trying to fight. That's uh, pretty awful. Well, I would also imagine it would be kind of complicated, too, especially in the 80s when you have one actor playing two roles. Honestly, not for nothing. It's not like Hollywood had that Hollywood magic like it does now where you can superimpose the same actor in one scene. Kind of like how they did with uh, X. Exactly. So, But, I mean, I don't know. I don't really know how I feel about that movie. Because mm-hmm. just the very ending of it really fucked me up. And I felt like when she got shot, I felt exactly how Karen felt after she saw all that shit. She just was like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just running out of the room with this baby and I'm just going to run away. And literally, it I feel like that would have traumatized that baby too. But instead, it just traumatized the shit out of Karen. So, Well. I would have felt yeah. like that. So, yeah. I feel like the whole baby thing didn't really need to be in there didn't need to be yeah yeah like there was no I, point well because like i said andrea their friend the one who was trying to hit on terry earlier in the movie mm-hmm. like that's julie is andrea's mom so yeah. she not only has andrea as like a nearly adult daughter she has this baby now too and, and here's a crazy thing i don't get about this okay so, they're kids back in 74, Todd and Terry. Yep. And did anyone even notice this? Is that 10 years later that these kids grew up to looking like, not looking like the way that they should? Because... What do you mean? Todd and Terry, they they look incredibly old. They well, look, that's the point. I know. It's just like, if you make them look a little bit like they're like 10 years for, apart from their child self, because... But they did. They didn't, though. They hired children actors to play Todd and Terry's kids. I know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the grown-up Todd and Terry looked more older than they did. That's the point. Just because 10 years has gone by... Because here's the thing you got to understand about aging, right? Well, here's the... 
A lot happens in 10 years, okay? We don't know how old they were when back in 1974. Well, All we know is that they were little kids. Well, here's the thing. Right? What would you guess their age if you saw the, the way they looked? Judging by the way they looked in 1974, I would say they're probably about 9 to 10 years old. Somewhere within that age group. Okay, and if so that, maybe they... So, so if that were the case, if that were the case, then that would make Todd and Terry... Like 19, 19 and 20 years old in present day, whenever this movie is. I guess it kind of makes sense. I don't know. It just, they looked older than 20. What do you think? They were 30? Like mid-20s, almost 30. No. They would have had to look like, like, you know how, like, you know, ugh, again, you know how, like, the teens looked? Okay, so in the, in the very beginning of the movie, there's a whole montage of people going to the drive-in, right? Mm-hmm. You saw the teenagers in that montage, right? Yes. That's what teenagers looked like back then. And I, now, still. I know, but... But my know. point my point is is that with each milestone of ages, you'll notice a significant difference in the years. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you're a baby, you're going to look a lot different from being a baby than when you're like three years old. And you're going to look a lot different from the age of three to the age of eight, Right. I know, yes, but I just, I don't know, for some reason they looked way too old for for being what they were. But anyway, any other thoughts you want to go into before? No, not really. This movie's messed up, so I want to get away from it. Yeah, I just figured we would pick a holiday-themed movie for this week yep, and that's, to talk about. And you know what? It's definitely with the whole problems and issues and everything that's going on, I feel like this is probably the most common Thanksgiving movie so i would say this is probably the perfect thanksgiving horror slasher if you're looking for something like that during this holiday right do you have anything else to say before we go uh say bye bye not that i can think of okay well i'm glad that you all listened to us for this week and definitely tune in for uh, more future episodes that we're going to be doing mm-hmm. and thank you for listening and i hope you all enjoy thanksgiving this has been a special holiday episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Bourne. And I'm Aaliyah. Signing off saying, that's not cranberry sauce. Enough with the fucking cranberry sauce joke. It's not going to stick. <laughs>